Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a sometimes fortnightly, sometimes monthly podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and this is going to be another one of my first look episodes. And I've got a level with you. It's been a little bit weird, actually, the last few packs. With the Phantom of Truth, we got the pack a week early in the UK. With the Pallid Mask, we're getting it a week late. I found it particularly hard this time round to avoid spoilers. I think it's something about knowing that the cards are out there in the wild, not just in spoiler form, but also that players in America already had them and were playing them and talking about them. I've just, yeah, it's been really difficult. I I found a forum post as well, idly, that named one of the new cards. And yeah, certainly historically, people haven't put titles of new cards in their forum posts. It just, it's all been a little bit confusing. Anyway, hopefully there'll be someone else joining me on the cast a little bit later on if we can make that work. And yeah, I just thought I'd share where I'm at, basically. So what can we expect from the Pallid Mask, which is the fourth Mythos pack in the Path to Carcosa cycle? Well, one of the things I did do before the pack came out was went and looked again at the description of what the pack was about. And we were told to expect higher level versions of cards we've already seen. And certainly the spoilers I've unfortunately seen have suggested the same. And also skill cards. And we, the, the announced card was Inspiring Presence, which is a very interesting skill card. Triple icon, so it makes me think of Resourceful and has a very specific effect. I think that's going to be the first card in the pack. And it'll be really interesting to see what the other ones are like, how they work. Because skills, they contain something of the class identities, I would say. Vicious Blow and Guardian, Deduction and Seeker. But also a skill-heavy build. We've not really seen one that's been massively successful. There was a, an Ashcan Pete build on Arkham DB that was 20 skill cards. It had the Desperate cards. It was sort of mad deck. And I've actually played a Desperate Duke deck as well that I've really enjoyed. But... but you know, that's an outlier. That's not the norm that you build a sort of a 12 to 15 skill card deck. So it'll be really interesting to see what these are like. And I suppose the other thing is the double or nothing, quick thinking, opportunist level two package. There is this this option with Rogue to maybe have these different skill cards that feed off each other to a certain extent. But... I've never quite got that off the ground. I've never quite worked out the right place, the person rather, to run it. So we're going to dive in and I suppose just see how we get on, really. Okay, first card is its Inspiring Presence. So this is a Guardian skill. It has willpower, intellect, and combat icons, which I suppose is kind of fitting. Name me a Guardian with a high agility. It's innate traited, and it reads... If this skill test is successful, ready an ally asset at your location and heal one damage or one horror from it. Anderson's a hard-ass, sure, always locking up the run and waking us up at the crack of dawn, but out here in the middle of nowhere, he's definitely the one I want taking point. I love this card. I think it's really interesting. I think Resourceful has been a really powerful new survivor card, and I'm going to compare this slightly to Resourceful. Your you're given a wide option of tests to commit it to. It doesn't give you a particularly large boost unless Min is somewhere around adding a wild icon, but it's really flexible in its use. For In Resourceful's case, that if you can land it on a successful test, you then end up with a card back. So that means you can replay Lucky, you can replay Look What I Found. If you somehow really need to get your shovel back from the discard pile for some reason and you're playing as Yorick, it's another way of doing that. It gives you a lot of options, basically. How does Inspiring Presence compare? Well, really, the conditions for playing it are slightly more specific, I would say. So you need an ally that's been exhausted to get make the most of this readying effect, and you need an ally that has a damage or a horror on it, because it's ready an ally and heal one damage. It's not ready an ally, then heal one damage, or something like that. Ah, no, so I'm getting it wrong then. So it's the readying and healing. You can choose as much of that as you want to resolve. I think I've got that right. It's not a It's not a then that you have to do the ready to do the heal. What kind of allies like getting exhausted is the next question. In Guardian, 
Beatcop is the obvious example. Beatcop level two, I mean. So committing this card to a test gets you another ping from the Beatcop, so that can be two testless damage in a turn, and healing a damage off it, extending the longevity of your Beatcop. So Zoe can take this, Mark can take this, Roland can take this, obviously. Skids can take this if he's running Beat Cop. Yorick can take this if he's running Beat Cop. So all of our sort of Guardian-based investigators can take this and enjoy it if they're running a Beat Cop deck. Obviously the challenge is if you're running Xavier instead, who's not exhausting, maybe you want to just use this for a bit of healing on Xavier so you can make sure he soaks up as much damage as possible. But otherwise, maybe not. Where this card, I think, gets more interesting is that, of course, the Dunwich investigators can all take it. So it can actually end up in other factions. For instance, Jim could take it and use it to ready Alyssa Graham. Or I think the thing that's probably got people most excited is that Ashcan Pete can take it and use it to ready Duke. So Duke, the free trigger on Ashcan only allows him to ready Duke once per turn. So you can use Duke twice unless you're lucky and you pull the Elder Sign. But with Inspiring Presence, you can commit this card to a test, having already used Duke twice to guarantee or nearly guarantee that you can ready Duke again. Keeping Duke alive is also really important. I've seen people run Emergency Aid before in Ashcampete to just top up some of the damage because you don't want to pile all the damage onto Duke. I think he's only got two health. So they use that to make sure that they can survive, or they use leather coats and keepsakes to survive. But yeah, that that power in Ashcampete to potentially get three Duke attacks or three Duke investigates in a turn is not to be underestimated. I think if you then add into the mix Will to Survive, then we're starting to get into crazy territory where you're going to guarantee landing this, which means you're going to guarantee readying a Duke, which means you're going to guarantee another hit or another investigate, which is, yeah, really good. The other ally that comes to mind for me is, well, there's a couple actually. There's the patrons that we've seen so far, all needing to ready, which is in itself interesting. But then there's also Aquina level 3. I've just been running a Yorick deck, running Aquina level 3. So she exhausts, you give her a horror, and she deals the damage of an attack, either back at the person who's done it, or to another enemy at your location. She's really powerful, so she's a little bit like Guard Dog. But not really. Guard Dog is if it takes any damage, it does one back. Aquina really thrives on throwing back bigger bits of damage. As we've seen in the Path to Carcosa, there are some pretty meaty enemies out there who really like to sling out at least two damage. There's at least one example of a three damage enemy. And being able to deal her a horror, you still need to deal with the horror somehow and fire that damage back is really useful. The idea that you could actually be engaged with you could use it, say, you could it be engaged with an enemy, move or something like that to trigger an attack of opportunity, direct the damage somewhere else, take a test and commit Inspiring Presence and ready her so that in the enemy phase you can use her again and you could be healing the horror that you've dealt her to do that. I think is is potentially quite powerful. You've got to get your pieces in place, but I've been having a lot of fun with Aquina and Yorick and I think there's this added thing that in theory, if she dies, you can replay her using Yorick's ability. So there's a sort of slight contingency there. Yeah, cool. Nice first card. As you can tell, like because I've known about it, I've had longer to think about it. So it's been, yeah, really fun to think about. So yeah, that's number one. Good start. Okay. Wow. Oh, it's a boxing ring? Okay. <laughs> Next card is Mano Amano. Ooh. So this is a zero-cost event that's 1 XP. It has willpower and combat icons, which reminds me of Taunt. It's called Mano a Mano, which obviously isn't man-to-man. Spirit and bold traded. Play only as your first action. Hmm, is the bold trait about... Yeah, it's a little bit like uh, priorities in Netrunner that make you go first. Okay, what does it read? Deal one damage to an enemy engaged with you. This action does not provoke attacks of opportunity. Oh my word. Okay, well, all of the same people that I talked about for Inspiring Presence can take this card, apart from obviously the the Dunwich Gators. Who wants to just play a zero-cost event to do one damage to an enemy that's engaged with you? 
Hmm. I suppose you can still taunt before that, because there's still a player window before your first action. So you could pull over an enemy to make sure you're engaged with it. Wow. If you're playing as Yorick, and you're wanting to get something out of your discard pile, and say you have a couple of enemies engaged with you, rather than taking a test to kill the rats or to kill some other small enemy, you can play this for zero, do the damage to the small enemy and get the weapon back, and you've still got two actions left, and you've avoided the chaos bag entirely, potentially. Yeah. Maybe it also fits in the skids deck where you're going to anyway sneak attack an enemy, but it's got three health. So you want some way of doing that last bit of damage, maybe testlessly, because they've got a high fight but a low evade value. Perhaps, maybe, that's interesting. The, the interesting thing is one XP and a deck slot for a single damage. Admittedly, it's a zero cost damage. Zoe has a very reliable way of doing damage in her cross. Mark Harrigan doesn't really mind punching things, and does he really want to spend an action to do this? Maybe not. And Roland, well, I suppose Roland could like playing this, should he desire it. I suppose the other interesting thing that's striking me about this, which isn't, you know, this isn't a surprising thing to say, because you have to play this as your first action, the flexibility around the card is severely limited, and you can't pile up cards like this. So if you have two of these, you can't do two testless damage and then move on. It's only ever going to be a single point. It's like a sort of a micro-dynamite blast, isn't it? Obviously doesn't have the same number of targets, doesn't have the flexibility, but also doesn't have the cost. So, yeah, you, you fire this out. I'd love it if this could target enemies engaged with other people as well, because sometimes as the Guardian you want to just get rid of that rat or that acolyte that's ended up engaged with Daisy or something, someone who's not really comfortable dealing with it, and you could just ping them for one. Of course, the other person who could play this is Lola. Does she want Tesla's damage? I suppose she or Yorick could combine this with throwing away a lantern. You're doing two damage for two actions. Okay, so I'm sort of... I mean, the art is just incredible, isn't it? These sort of almost grey men slugging it out. Really good. Which makes me think, is it a skids card? And, and what am I missing that makes it a really strong skids card? Hmm. Or maybe there's someone else who's going to like Guardian level 1 cards. Yeah, interesting. It feels to me like almost a flex card. I'd like to find out where it re maybe I'm missing something on it where it fits that it's just a really powerful I suppose the other amazing thing is it's one damage to any enemy doesn't matter about elite or not doesn't matter about you know if they're massive the size of them so it's just a guaranteed one point of damage which can be the difference between success and failure ultimately okay what's the next card oh my goodness okay the next card is a familiar, disgusting card. It's First Aid, level 3. So First Aid, level 0 is in the core set. It's a 2-cost asset with a willpower icon. It has 3 supplies that you discard the card when they use them. And as an action, you can heal a damage or a horror from an investigator at your location. I'm actually looking away from First Aid, level 3 as I say this. People definitely panned First Aid, level 0 back in the core set days. It was the only healing for Guardian. It was slow. You only healed one at a time. So if you wanted to get the three uses out of it, you were spending four actions to heal three. And Guardians just didn't have the time and didn't care for it. Now, when Mark Harrigan came out, I argued, I suggested that maybe we could find a space for first aid in a Mark Harrigan deck. And the reason I thought that is, as I've said many times before, Mark can draw into cards quickly, he wants to take damage to boost tests, and he wants reliable ways of getting rid of that damage so that when he finds shell shock, he's not immediately wiped out and eliminated. Obviously there are better healing cards in faction and in neutral than first aid. I think emergency aid is really the signature pay to, heal to, only a single action card, and that's obviously my first choice, but sometimes because of the acceleration that Mark's given you, I certainly felt like just having that little top-up on tap is quite useful. That action that I might spend usually drawing a card, instead I could use to just keep Mark topped up. Yeah, which basically I thought was strong. 
I've, I've enjoyed it. The other thing is, of course, it turns Mark into this kind of group helper as well. If he's fine for health and, and sanity, he can also be throwing out the love to other people. Anyway, this isn't an argument to say that level zero is amazing. But okay, let's look at first aid level three. Wow. The art is still grotesque. Two willpower icons now. It's talent and science treated. I think that's the same. It uses four supplies, and if it has no supplies, discard it. Spend a supply. Heal one damage and one horror from an investigator or ally asset in your location. In your location? Shouldn't that be at? Hmm. But hang on. Wow. It's gone from a damage or to a damage and, which is pretty darn good. And it's an investigator or an ally. Healing Duke just got good. Healing Xavier and just keeping him around for the willpower boost and tanking for everyone. Really good. Healing the Beat Cop level 2 who can take a horror. Because of course, for that to be optimally useful, the target ally needs to be able to take one of each. So people like Peter Sylvester who can't, I think all of the mystic allies can't take multiples of one of the health or sanity, I think. Renfield can take two health and one sanity, and then it it's one health for the other two. Same with the Seekers, apart from, hey, Malison, have a little two-cost body on the table. Well, Malison's one cost, isn't he? One cost body on the table, just soaking up for Roland or something like that. Lola can also take this. If you pick a beefy ally with Lola, oh, with Leo, Leo can take two and two. Just keep Leo clean for you. Okay, does it justify... The XP. Skids can't take it, Yorick can't take it, it's a pure Guardian thing. I'm inclined to say yes. I think, broadly speaking, my playstyle, I would rather heal damage or horror than run cards that give me a bigger health or sanity pool. And I know that there are people who feel quite strongly the other way, so it's sort of hard to to balance it or justify one or the other. Some people would prefer a bulletproof vest. But yeah, I think it must just be about how I play or the, the way that I play. I'd rather be able to deal with damage and horror after they've happened than try and get cards that will keep me alive should I find them. But, you know, the argument about whether or not you can find your card works both ways, I suppose. Okay, interesting. I'm guessing that's all the Guardian cards. Let's move on. Yes, the next card is a Seeker card. It's a Seeker skill. Okay, three icons as well. This is Eureka. It looks like Dr. Milan. Is it Dr. Milan? Maybe. Willpower, intellect, and agility icons. Another three iconer. Innate traded. If this skill test is successful, the investigator performing this test searches the top three cards of his or her deck for a card, draws it, and shuffles his or her deck. Mini old book of lore, but on tests. Wow, really interesting. Go back to what I said about inspiring presence. Go back to what I said about resourceful. The great thing about these cards is that they compress actions in some way. They give you a ready or something like that. This, if someone's desperate for something, but they're also engaged with an enemy, say it's uh, Sephina or something like that, you can commit this to Sephina's test as the, the Seeker character. Give Sephina the mini scry that she needs, the mini sort of filtered draw to get a card, and maybe that sets up the next play. Maybe that draws her a painted world and she can then sneak attack or something like that. Yeah, it can be taken by Rex, by Daisy, by Min. It could also be taken by Roland. That's interesting. He probably doesn't want the agility test. Maybe the intellect test, if he is trying to get clues sort of normally, that's a possibility. It feels like a fairly strong Seeker card, though. Man, Seekers and card draw, eh? Someone should do an episode about card draw, because you could you could end up with almost every card in your deck being a filtered draw, which is pretty cool. I'd love this in Lola as well. Like, the flexibility of giving out the the cards to whoever you're committing it to is pretty nice. The flexibility of the icons is nice. Like, two icons from Min for willpower, agility, or intellect, I just think is, yeah, really strong. So you could run this and resourceful and just have such flexibility for getting cards back. And importantly, it's the person taking the test that gets the result not you, the the investigator, committing it. Because Resourceful gives you a card back, even if you sling the combat icon into someone else's really high combat test. What I've often done with Resourceful is commit it for the intellect icon to the Seeker's test and get a card back for me. 
But yeah, for this, you're giving out the love, so you want to hit it on a test that they're going to pass. Cool, first card for Seekers. Card number two is... Shortcut level two. Wow. Okay, let's get ready for this. It has willpower, intellect, and agility icons. It's one cost and now is two XP. So it's one cost, it's gone up in cost. It's insight and tactic traded. Fast. Play only during your turn. I think that's the same. Attached to your location. Attached location gains free trigger, exhaust shortcut, move to a connecting location. You know this town like the back of your hand. Wait, what? The good news. Roland can still take it. The better news. I have no idea about this card. So instead of pulling yourself or pushing someone where they want to go, you can throw this down and leave the shortcut ready for when someone wants to use it. It obviously... Man, think about this in Midnight Masks. You put this down in Rivertown, and anyone passing through once per turn can bounce straight on. And they can do it as a free trigger. So like with the normal shortcut, if someone's engaged with you, you can pull them along with it. How interesting. This is definitely slightly weirder as a card than the simple shortcut that's pushing you. Man, imagine this in Undimension and Unseen. I'm just like thinking about maps, basically. What this really makes you think about is the routes you're going to need to take, what kind of movement you need. So for some scenarios, you don't ever go back to certain places. In House Always Wins, you play your way through, and you might run back at a certain point, but you're probably not, you know what I'm talking about, you're probably not moving around too much. Maybe in the in the darkened hall, this would be useful. But then there are other scenarios where you're running around madly, blood on the altar, yeah, Essex, you wouldn't want this, right? Because ideally you're just moving forwards all the time. It also requires you to be there. So if you're playing that seeker who's zipping around, I mean, it sets you back up to come bounce back through somewhere to pathfind into another location. You can get incredible amounts of movement out of it. It raises the question, what do you want to do with that movement? And to me, maybe it's just useful as always outrunning hunter enemies. And that is no bad thing. It's still, if once the enemy's on you, this doesn't help. But once the enemy's on you, the normal shortcut doesn't help either. So, yeah, interesting. Okay, so we've got three Guardian cards. Two Seeker. I'm guessing we're going now to Rogue. And the next card is... Ooh! It's a card with little quotation marks on it. Watch this! Oh my word! Who is that? This is a skill card too, with three icons. Willpower, combat, and agility. That is very rare for rogues to have a combat icon. Well, apart from sneak attack and backstab, obviously, often rare for them to have a, a combat icon. It's zero XP again, it's a skill. It's gambit traded. I think that's a pretty rare trait, if at all. Flavor text, show off. <laughs> Commit only to a skill test you are performing. Classic greedy rogues. As an additional cost to commit watch this to a skill test, spend up to three resources. You don't have to spend them, but you can spend three. If you succeed by one or more, gain twice that many resources. Wow. Commit, pay three, pass by one or more, get double your money, go up to six. That's three streetwise pumps. Wow, I love it. Really interesting. Feeds directly into what I was talking about, about chucking in these packets of skill cards, avoiding tentacle as best you can, and reaping the reward. So Daring Maneuver is obviously useful, but if you're using Daring Maneuver to ensure that you get your quick thinkings and your opportunists back into your hand, you're also going to get this. It makes me think that Rogue are becoming this feast or famine faction. I've certainly experienced it with my own play, where you have a handful of cards, and then you have a turn where everything kind of gets spent. And you think, oh my goodness, well, how am I going to bounce back from that? And then you spend a while recovering. I'm thinking of sort of skids, sleight of hand typewriter play as well, where you're saving up everything, and then you have this turn where you're spending a load of actions. This would be really useful at that point, because you're not using resources to boost the typewriter shots, but the typewriter shots can often go really high. You can go up to sort of seven or nine, throw this in to be a ten. Yeah, if you've doubled or nothing as well. Oh my word. 
if you've double or nothing and committed this, do you get twice that many resources? Twice. Quick thinking as a result does double. Is this the same wording? I can't remember off the top of my head. If so, you could commit three and get six twice, go up to 12. Or you can commit one and get two and get four. But commit one card for four, you're still, with double or nothing, being better than cash. And that's that's worth worth just pausing on. If you're If you're committing only one resource, you're only getting two back. Maybe you've only got one, and it's just pulling you a little bit out of a, a pool. Normally I'd say a card for two resources isn't great. If this is also combined with a skill test that's one you're probably going to pass, maybe it's an easy evasion. That's not too bad. But if it's an easy evasion, it would probably be worth putting in two or three resources and getting more. Okay, really interesting. Does Wendy like it? Maybe... Yeah, it's certainly flexible. The lovely thing about this is if you have any two statistics for an investigator, any card like Watch This or Inspiring Presence or Eureka, they feed into that flexible strategy. And that is great. The next card is... Hello! (laughs) It's the 41 Derringer, level 2. Okay. Still costs 3. It's 2 XP. It's gained an agility icon, so it's combat and agility now. Item, weapon, firearm, and illicit, one hand, all of that's the same. Uses three ammo, still the same. Action, spend one ammo, fight. You get plus two combat for this attack. If you succeed by one or more, used to be two or more, this attack deals plus one damage. Once per turn, if you succeed by three or more, you may take an additional action this turn. What? Ignoring that second clause for a second. You're getting a plus two bonus, which is fine. And if you succeed by one or more, you get the damage. So it's still conditional damage. It's just slightly easier to hit. You could commit watch this to this, and that would be useful. But once a turn, if you succeed by three or more, which is the same as opportunist level zero, gain an extra action this turn. Man, rogues are just becoming the the real kings and queens of actions, aren't they? The compression, potentially, is phenomenal. Man, imagine sleight of hand getting this into play, first action, doing some kind of mega boost, and then you get an extra action out of it. So then you've got three actions left that you're then taking another couple of shots with this and doing something else, or maybe you're evading and moving on. You're sort of paying a card to use this for extra actions. Yeah, it's rogues, they're just they're gonna showboat, aren't they? They're gonna just be these bananas weird faction that as I said already. Feast or Famine, right? Just bananas Feast or Famine. What an interesting card. It also just goes to show that rogues have these weird weapons. They're they're sort of conditional damage, big boosts, but yeah, really strange. What a cool card. Does Wendy like it? Not for that combat boost. Seth, maybe? Not really. Jenny, maybe. She might be boosting otherwise to be getting a high, high combat, potentially. Yeah. I've used Derringer before, before I've gone to Switchblade and Jenny. If you're going to pile a load of resources into a, an attack, it's pretty good. Maybe if you're running combat training and skids as well, so you can guarantee that big hit and end up with loads of actions. As ever, what do you spend the actions on once you've got those loads of actions? Typewriter shots? Then you need a bandolier? Nah, I'm going down a funny path. Okay, that's the rogues done. The mystics. This card is another skill... Oh my word, Torrent of Power. It's a mystic skill. It has a single wild icon, which is making me think of Defiance straight away. It's practiced. As an additional cost to commit Torrent of Power to a skill test, spend up to three charges from among assets you control. For each charge spent in this way, Torrent of Power gains a willpower icon and a wild icon. Oh my goodness, it's the mystic leadership. Wow. You can commit this to other people as well. Oh my word. So Daisy can run it, Seth can run it valuably, Akachi can run it, Jim, Agnes, of course. The question, the big question, which investigators who are using cards with charges have three of them to burn? to give themselves a plus seven to a test. I like this in Ceph, but certainly the Ceph I've been running is running high cost, high impact assets charges, shriveling and right of seeking, and really doesn't want to sling away any of those charges if she can possibly help it. Maybe if she was running a Book of Shadows, 
it would be less risky. I think the obvious home for this is Akechi, where she's getting those extra charges, and maybe she's playing alchemical transmutation or scrying, you know, more or less to protect against angered spirits. And in which case, if you've dealt with angered spirits and you've got these leftover charges on scrying or the transmutation, you can do with this powerful attack where you commit torrent of power, pump up. If you're using quantum flux as well and replaying things from your deck and getting more use out of your deck, I can see it becoming handy as well. You really need to pass some test, some big willpower test potentially, or even just another test and you want to give yourself plus three or plus four, then yeah, it's pretty powerful. It's definitely like a go big or go home card, isn't it? Not loads of flexible uses, maybe as a single single wild icon, but mostly as this like you want plus three. I think it could be really powerful in harder difficulties as well, where you want those turns where you really smash a test, and that means guaranteeing a big boost, and you can contain that within one card here. Okay, powering on, the next card is Scrying! Level three! Okay, I'm not really surprised because someone put up a post saying, I want to ask about Scrying level three, and that ruined it for me. So still one cost, now three XP, so it's gated to our Pure Mystics, no daisy for this one, though Lola can still take it. It's got two intellect icons now, it's still spell-traited, uses three charges. Free trigger, exhaust scrying and spend a charge. Look at the top three cards of any investigator's deck or the encounter deck. Return them to the top of that deck in any order. If a terror or omen card is among the looked-at cards, take one horror. Oh, interesting. 3 XP to make it fast. I like that. But with this slight downside of if you're hitting Terror or Omen cards. So yeah, you can be freely controlling the encounter deck every turn, but with a little bit more risk now. Classic Mystic, isn't it? No, No rewards without risk as well. Okay, wow, interesting. I definitely like the free triggeredness of this. It is a massive boost, I would say, to scrying. Obviously for Marie, her synergy with Doom is kind of neutered by this because there's no action that she can just use it for free on. But still, yeah, pretty good. The question, of course, is how many Terror or Omen cards there are around. Certainly in Carcosa, we've seen a lot of Terror cards. Maybe it's a case of being rewarded for knowing the kind of scenario you're in. Obviously the people who can take scrying don't necessarily care about taking the horror. Oh, can you imagine with Agnes that she maybe wants to fish for that horror because she's engaged with an enemy, so she free triggers scrying. Obviously, competition, always competition for these slots. You know, that would be lovely for Agnes to hit a terror card, get a horror, kill some enemy, move on. But she has other ways of also killing and getting horror. So, and maybe best casing to a certain extent. But yeah, I like it. Really interesting. It also turns support gym into a more viable thing, I think, that you could be scrying other people's decks, setting them up for people, and you're doing it freely. You're not committing huge amounts of actions to do it. Yeah, really good. Wow, compare this to First Aid 3 that just boosts the power and flexibility, and this is a boost, but in a really different way. It's kind of speeding up the scrying, making it more viable. Okay, and we're into the survivors now. The first card is... Oh my word! Waylay. This is a three-cost event. That's got to be Wendy with a pipe, having just brained some creature. Wow. Two agility icons. It's tactic-traited, so Mark can take it. Flavor reads, Is... is it over? Her hand shook, and she fell to her knees. Is it finally over? What is that? She's utterly brain-dead with her pipe. Choose an exhausted non-elite enemy at your location and test agility x where x is that enemy's evade value if you succeed defeat that enemy oh my word let's go through that again choose an exhausted non-elite enemy so you've got to have evaded them and they can't be elite could be a brood of yogsathoth for instance three three evade is their test or it could be any number of other irritating enemies. A Bayaki, perhaps? Are they non-elite? I think they are. Then you test agility. You're paying three to do this. Wow, it's sort of like the survivor 
backstab. Can you imagine in Wendy as well being able to replay this repeatedly, leaning off your agility? The reality is you've taken the test once to evade them unless you've exhausted them through some other means like a stray cat or a cunning distraction and then you're paying three and taking an agility test again at their at their value but if you pass they're gone potentially super powerful but also quite a steep cost i'd say three is at mid-range cost for an event that that could whiff the nice thing is it doesn't say deal damage that it just defeats them so things like poltergeists just get rid of the poltergeist that's pretty good Potentially, it's a useful way of dealing with any enemy that you need to get rid of, but that you don't want to commit lots of time doing damage to. Those Seekers of Carcosa in Echoes of the Past, they're pretty easy to evade, but they do have three health and they're aloof. So you're going to have to engage them and then do three damage, which can be a bit tricky if you're playing a dodgy build. If you can move in, engage, evade, are oh, still not great. It's tricky. Okay, this definitely feeds into like toolbox wendy who's doing banana stuff and i really like it is there any more to say about it it's just really interesting isn't it it's really odd certain people like mim say you could take it or agnes where passing two agility tests in a row isn't great i suppose if min is paired with someone who's doing evasion potentially she can boost herself i mean i've cleared the king in yellow before using agility so potentially it's a sort of flex card that you're suddenly going to drop if you need it. And I certainly like that as an idea. If it's comboing with something that means you haven't already taken these, the straight evasion test because you've you know, evaded an enemy for some effect, a cheap shot, say, although that's not the ideal effect, you're then just clearing out that enemy as best you can. Still, paying three and then trying to pass a, a two, three, four difficulty test could be, could be tricky. Okay, next card. A chance encounter. Oh my word, this is a chance encounter, but it has a cost of X rather than a cost of zero. No, chance encounter is one. We're seeing a leveled up chance encounter. How interesting. Two XP to play this, X cost. <laughs> well, this is this is funny. I just paused recording to talk about chance encounter because there was a bus going past. And I realised I didn't unpause. So all of my amazing thoughts have just been lost. It's so deeply frustrating. What are they trying to say about Chance Encounter? What have I even said about it? It's hard to know. I can probably go back and check the recording. It's really interesting because it really wants to target these really impactful allies is sort of where I was coming to because if you're going to pay two to get back an art student and get the clue, it doesn't seem to me a good investment of two XP. So you want to be hitting those bigger allies. But those bigger allies are probably being more carefully protected. They're probably specific to the decks that are playing them. So grabbing them isn't going to necessarily work. If they're unique as well and there's one in a discard pile for someone, you can't grab the other. Definitely requires some coordination with your with your teammates. The person who sort of like maybe is running strong guardian allies is Yorick. But then he has a way of getting them back from his discard pile that doesn't spend 2 XP anyway. Yeah, interesting card. Really, I'm really interested what Peter has to say. And the last card is Emergency Cash Level 3. Supply traded. You can never be too prepared. Gain four resources or place four supply tokens among assets controlled by investigators at your location or any combination thereof. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but first aid that we've just seen has supply tokens and that heals a damage and a horror and gets discarded if it runs out of tokens. That's a pretty good target for supply tokens, I would say. There's an even better one, which is Acidic Icor, the upgraded Strange Solution. That has no way of being discarded once it's run out of charges and just sits there empty. It doesn't take a slot, so you can't play something over it in that slot. That is potentially a really good target for Emergency Cash Level 3. You can just pump up that card and you're set and ready to go for the next while. Other than that... What other things do we want supplies on? Flashlights? I love the idea of a a group party where everyone's using flashlight to help with investigating. And flashlight is a a good, reliable card. But playing emergency cash level three, taking a couple of resources for yourself and giving two flashlights an extra charge each, that to me is pretty powerful. It's the flexibility that is particularly strong, I think. Play the card and get four resources, that's fine. 
but also play the card at a time when there are supply cards out is really strong too. Okay, well, I've gone on for ages. What an interesting pack. I love these new skills. I think they're really cool. And how interesting to see these new XP cards. I wasn't expecting what we got at all. And between First Aid, Derringer, Shortcut, that was weird. Scrying and Chance Encounter is a lot to think about. Okay, well, I hope you've enjoyed my first look at the Pallid Mask, but, listener, don't go away yet, because I actually have someone joining me on the line. Who could it be? Uh, it's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. <laughs> Hi, Peter. How are you? I feel really self-conscious doing that now. It's your thing. It's, it's your slogan. Apparently, it's my thing. Uh, yeah, I just thought I'd I'd, I'd call you quickly. Uh, not because I'm calling in favours. Uh, just wanted... I, I heard... <laughs> I heard that you just looked... You're doing me a favour. Yeah. yeah. I heard you just looked at the, the Pallid Mask cards. Yeah. And I think you sent me a message that said you had you had interesting capital I thoughts, capital T. So... Yeah. I really enjoyed this pack. I think, I think as I've just said on the episode, the, the skills are a really interesting bunch. I think we'll talk about those in a moment. And it was really interesting to see a bunch of fairly familiar cards being given really interesting higher level versions so yeah that's that's left me excited to hear what you have to say well i i think i've talked to you about this before but it's it's interesting that the cards are developing in in an interesting way that the upgraded version actually changes a few things about the base level version and i think actually this pack there's the first upgrade that i don't necessarily prefer over the original and which upgrade is that because maybe we should talk about that card it's a chance encounter so you, you will have just talked about this because it I mean it's even at the end of the, the episode because it's a survivor card. Yeah. But I, as you know, I've got chance encounter level zero in my min deck, and I use it to bounce back those cheap academic allies for their their comes into play effects, yeah. and then also combo it with calling in favors to return them into my hand. But a chance encounter, yeah. then it's less good to do that with because you're spending more <laughs> to put those allies into play. I've got to confess, it it really. It threw me for a bit of a loop looking at it because part of the the sort of the inbuilt chance encounterness of chance encounter is that you only get them for a turn and that's gone and it's sort of it's a different card, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a different card. It, it it's good for different reasons now as well. It's it's better as ally recursion, which is good for someone like Pete who wants to bring Duke back. Yeah, or if you're playing with. You know, if you've got a small number of allies across your team and one of them ends up in the bin, then you know you can bring it straight back with this. But for someone yeah. playing lots and lots of allies, I think this isn't as good as the base level one. Yeah, for those allies that you're really only looking to get a when they enter play effect, paying more to get that out of them seems sort of yeah counterproductive. I wonder if just this is just an idle thought. I wonder if there's a deck out there that could run lots of allies that it's never going to be able to play all of them and its plan is to draw hard and discard some of those allies. So almost like, this is a slightly absurd example, but almost like putting Leo in a Rex deck and just drawing really hard and discarding Leo so that Yorick can play Chance Encounter and get Leo. (laughs) You know? Yeah, possibly, yeah. It seems a very complicated way of doing, of sort of trading an ally. Maybe we'll see a, a, an upgraded version, which still only pays one to do it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. Sort of changed in one direction and then changed back, yeah. The other card I really wanted to look at was Shortcut, level two. Which, if I if I remember correctly, and I didn't say this on the episode so far, but I think Shortcut is one of the cards that I highlighted from at the end of the Dunwich Legacy cycle as one of my favourite, most powerful cards. I think yeah. I've never passed up on a chance to run shortcut if i could possibly help it so as except for the cost to play which is now one i don't think there's any situation where it's straight up worse than it was before because you can always just play it and use it straight away to give someone a free move yeah i don't think i really quite comprehended that during the episode right that I think it's because it's gained this extra text and it feels like it's more static because it's attaching to a location. It immediately changes your focus that you want to get multiple moves out of it. Right. And so in a scenario like Essex, if you drop it down and use it straight away, 
chances are you're not going to go back to that location. Certainly. But of course, what you, what you could do in that situation is drop it down and move away or move someone else away. And then it'll ready an upkeep and immediately you get a move out of it, out of that carriage as well. Yeah. So already you've got two shortcuts for the price of one, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you best hope that someone in your team doesn't have the, the hidden card which stops you from using free abilities. Oh, yeah, that's true. If you have the hidden card that stops you playing events as well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this card is like doubly gut-punched. But it would be your ally who uses the free ability, wouldn't it? Because you'd play it, and then even in your turn, they can still use that free ability to move to a connecting location. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's really good. It's especially good in places where... You've got a, a hallway or, or or a throughfare that everyone moves through multiple times. I think we see places yeah. like that in the Miskatonic Museum, in the, uh, what's it called, the, the the foyer, is it? Before you move into all the halls? It's called Museum Halls, I think. Museum Halls, right. Yeah. Before you move into all the exhibit halls. And then House Always Wins in that, that alley. I mean, there's loads and loads of scenarios where there's one location you move through a bunch of times. In Carcosa, to bring it more up to date there's echoes of the past there's the historical society and the asylum yeah. that have sort of spines to them that you're probably going to move through as a team at least a couple of times yeah yeah put it in the the hallway in your house in the gathering you know put it oh, in well, the center yeah, keep bouncing up in down. the center of the town in midnight masks i think there's always going to be a place where so if shortcut can gain you a free action at the very minimum this can be i don't know five, ten free actions over the course of a game if you get it down early. Yeah, particularly if it's a if it's a scenario where you're hanging around a hub area. Yeah. It's it's similar to if anyone's played Carnival, there's a couple of things, an ally asset and a couple of locations which have mm. abilities that let you move. And combined with some other movement cards, you can shoot right around the board in a single turn. Yeah. If you're falling behind, you can just yeah suddenly turbo. Interestingly, I'm glad you mentioned Carnival, because Streets of Venice in Carnival has this same formulation, uh, free trigger and then bold move, and there was definitely some rules discussion around does that trigger attacks of opportunities, because it's a free move, so it's a free event action, so it shouldn't, but it is a bold action text, and I, I'm pretty sure it came down on the side that it doesn't trigger a tax opportunity and that it doesn't cost you extra actions if you're frozen in fear but yeah i'll check that out okay so should we move on and talk about there are four new skill cards in this pack yeah let, let's talk about those because they're yeah a really interesting bunch yeah yeah and they're all except for one of them they're all three different icons as well so we've got to consider resourceful as the the fifth skill in this set of five right Yes, yes. So it's a part of a cycle we had some time ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we each each class miss, misses out on a single icon, except for Mystic, who got kind of a weird one anyway. Yeah, that's so in keeping for me with things like Grounded as well, that only boosts whatever you're testing for spells. And there's also uh, the Spirit of Thame that gives you a little combat boost, but then boosts your spell tests as well. It seems like they're really doubling down in this cycle that mystics really don't want to be generalists. You have to go for that willpower replacement effect. Yeah. I think I think they're all really good. Uh, I really like the rogue one, actually. Uh, I, I was discussing with someone the other day your potential gains of double or nothing here. Because yeah, yeah. When, when you double or nothing, you don't double how much you spend, but you do double how much you gain back. Yeah. I, I wondered this during the episode. I was trying to compare it with the text for quick thinking, because if you double or nothing are quick thinking, you get two actions. Yeah. My read on this is that is that you do the gain twice that many resources twice if you succeed with a double or nothing test. Is that your read as well? Yes. So if you commit three resources, you get six, and then you get another six. So you've made nine resources out of one test. That's right, yes. Yes, that would be my read as well, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, scarily impressive. You could always you could always commit two watch this to it. <laughs> wow. Okay, and uh, make 18 resources. Yeah, just for zero actions as well. And you're, at that point, you're giving yourself a plus three to the test. Two icons from the watch this, the two watch thises rather, 
and one from double or nothing. Yes. Yeah. So unless the test is is say four or five, you're giving yourself a pretty good chance to pass it. Yeah. I I think this for for Seth because it's got the willpower and agility icons is potentially really powerful because there's often times where you're doing a a willpower test that you've you've managed to boost up to seven or eight already. Yeah. I might be tempted to adaptable one or two of these into my Seth deck. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm definitely looking to put Eureka into my Min deck. It's a great card. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Min because I alluded to her throughout the episode. These cards in her hands are so powerful. Yeah. So the problem with those the three icon cards like this is that they're only ever going to be one icon towards a test. Min turns all of these into well double icons plus the extra effect, which is nice. Yeah, really, really nice. We've talked about it before. The difference between one icon and two feels like quite a step, and. If you're packing these cards around your party where multiple players have multiple two or three icon cards, so there's such flexibility around what what you commit and when, as soon as then Min is involved, everything gets that like supercharge. Because she can run Eureka and Resourceful, for instance, and have two double icon cards that can service all of the different characteristics. Yeah. And the other thing which I quite like is if you look across these including resourceful, if you look across the, the five cards, you could see which uh, ability each class is supposed to be weaker at, because they all have three icons, so they're all missing one. We have all combinations of three icons. So survivors yeah. don't have a willpower icon. Seekers don't have a combat icon. Guardians don't have an agility icon. Rogues don't have the intellect they icon. don't have an intellect icon. And that that, to me, is the interesting one. Well, because I'd... so many, like, I would say that rogues could be the second best investigative faction. And you've got lockpicks, streetwise, lots of cards like elusive and sneak attack have intellect icons on them. And I've seen quite a lot of intellect icons around rogue. But actually, yeah, it, it's nice to see a different a different spread here. Well, it, it's almost like the, the there's a, a different thread yeah, a different branch of rogue, which is stuff like double or nothing or the uh, daring maneuver. So that the, the kind of reckless, <laughs> to what's it called? Um, two-fisted action hero. Well, I was going to say two-fisted <laughs> yeah, action nice, hero. Yeah. Rogue, okay, which yeah. who wants to take tests with style and panache and pass like that? Who doesn't necessarily think too much about their actions? Yeah, if you're playing that kind of like skids the brawler style investigator and you're going to do sleight of hand typewriter and things like that and make sure you set up for these massive turns you're probably not spending any time investigating either yeah yeah uh, and then finally cosmistic gets if assuming you ditch a single charge you get three icons which is wild wild willpower which <laughs> suggests that they should be focusing on their willpower so they can aim in that direction yeah what a double down real double down on we're going to make sure you can absolutely smash your willpower tests, but you're going to be really struggling if you if you if you've somehow ended up not taking willpower tests. Well, can you ever see yourself committing this for for two wild or three wild for another test? You know, a a difficult intellect test or a difficult agility test that you you must pass in Mystic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, drop a couple of charges off a off a scrying or something like that. As such, I think it's a really good card for Akachi, actually, because she'll have things with charges lying around, and she can even refresh Precisely. those charges as well. She gets extra charges from her Elder Sign, so... Yeah, and once she has Spirit Speaker out, playing Alchemical Transmutation just gives her a source of charges for Angered Spirits, for Torrent of Power. It's just, you know, because she can take it back to her hand at any time if she needs it. When there's something comes up that, that a mystic can't get around in, in another way by using a spell, then they're sometimes a bit stuck. We, we've talked about, sure we talked about back when it happened, there's that, uh, I don't want to spoil too much because this is a, a card, a first look episode, but there's a, there's a, some mm. crucial intellect tests later on in the Dunwich cycle. And if you're going through with just a mystic and you're relying on your tools which replace investigation, then you can be a bit, a bit stuffed then, um, unless there's particular cards you've taken. So just dropping this in, in that you know, for that situation, just a panic button saying, "Okay, I've got a test. I really need to pass here. Uh, I'll put the torrent of power in and sack three icons. I'm at plus four. Yeah, 
Yeah, that, that's very sack, true. Sack three charges, rather. Sack three charges, yeah. Yeah. I understood. <laughs> the thing that's really interesting about that is it it, it almost... The, the only support this card needs is that for you to have built a board, which you should be doing anyway. It, yes. it doesn't need extra cards. It doesn't need resources in your pool or anything like that. I think it's really... If you've already been having a good game, you'll have spare charges and Torrent of Power gets better. If you see Torrent of Power in your opening hand and you've yet to you know, even fight your way out of the hole or do the investigating you need with Right of Seeking, it's going to feel like a bit of a dead card. So I think it's definitely going to be one where I think in bigger parties where Akachi has maybe a bit more time to set up, it's probably going to be even stronger. And, but then yeah. it's also super useful if you're chucking it to someone else to give them plus three on a tough willpower test. You know, in a way, Skids might love this. This is the single easiest way to give him a big willpower boost, isn't it? You can give him plus seven if he needs it. Yeah, true. Very true, yeah. This card would also just struck me in the Devourer Below. This is our first sort of quasi-reliable way of really dealing with some of those big inter- um, big willpower tests that does the... Um, it's not even Umordoth's Wrath, it's on the agenda, you can end there's a big willpower test. Yeah. And this this is a way of reliably getting well above the target. You have a bit of time to set up. Okay, anyway, I, th- I think we're coming to the end there, but you, you mentioned being a two-fisted action hero, so tell me a little bit more about Mano a Mano. <laughs> well, this is an interesting one. Uh, I've had a bit of a think about this. I, I can't... I think it's quite niche. Very niche. Yeah. It's almost contradictory it, it, it every time you think it's useful in a situation you remember another one of its limitations so of which there are a few so it has to be your first action and it has to be uh, an enemy that's engaged with you so you can't use it just to ping off uh, aloof enemies or enemies that are engaged with other players you can play taunt before you play it well yeah i know but <laughs> that, that's then two cards for a very specific situation <laughs> yeah yeah and the other thing is it's it, it's a safe bit of damage which is fine if it's finishing off an enemy, but you're having to play it first action, which is very rare at the time that you're going to be finishing off an enemy. If it's if a, a dangerous enemy that you need to kill is engaged with you at the beginning of your turn for you to play mano a mano, then it's already hit you and attacked you in the enemy phase preceding it. I just I think it's it, it's very niche, and until someone comes along or something else comes along that combos with single bits of damage. I just I, I don't see the use of it just yet. I suppose a, an example of where it could work is with the ghoul priest turning up at the end of the round in the gathering. If you already have this in hand, how are you going to have a one experience card in hand in the gathering? <laughs> That's a good shout. You wouldn't. That's why th- this wouldn't work. I was going to say you do the one damage and then you have to land two hits. Yeah, no, well, great the, point though. You, you... But, but exactly, this, this is what I mean. Every time you think there's use for it, there's another limitation. So I, I, here's um, here's an example then. Knowing when the agenda is going to take over in Midnight Masks, uh, not Midnight Masks, Miskatonic Museum, and positioning yourself in museum halls as the only person there. So when the hunting horror spawns. You can do one damage to it, and then you just need to land one hit because it's got three health. That, if you know that that's coming, you can position yourself. Like, but, but the hunting horror is only a two fight, so yeah. And, and most of the people who you can take this punch it three times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I've I've got a spare card that I could could be doing something else useful. Yeah, it just yeah. I, I, we we're not in a situation where we have we're swarmed by high fight, low health enemies, where this would be good. The one thing we've not seen is the Guardian Patron yet, still dubbed Super Frank in my head. <laughs> if the Guardian Patron does anything around giving you resources for dealing damage, yeah, this potentially might be a little bit stronger, depending on what that is, because any damage you can do, testless or not, starts to be useful. Or we maybe see something that triggers off single bits of damage being dealt. Yeah, for every one point you deal, deal another but it has to be not by a weapon or something like that. Basically, like a sort of monk class where unarmed damage is made more strong. Yes. I think we both know where our, our thoughts are going here. Quite, yeah. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I think at the moment it's niche, and I don't see... I'm not desperate to put it into my Guardian decks just at the moment, but I'm sure there's there's it's part, of a, part of a bigger puzzle, ultimately. Yeah. Well, is that all you want to say? That's all I wanted to say. Great, Peter. Thank you. It's always really useful to have your 
thoughts and your seasoned eye cast over the cards as well because I'm normally in a sea of just being overexcited so it's good to get a bit of bit of logical reasoning as well that's an Arkham card zing nice great thanks everyone for listening Uh, you can get in touch with us in a normal way Thank you.